Morning, everyone. Morning. Just take a moment to greet someone. Just going to shake hands with someone. Say, Jesus is risen. Thank you. Okay, time to take a seat. For anyone who doesn't know what Letton Hall is, it's a, a big country house out, out in Norfolk. And we've been using it for many years. A lot of people are up there at the moment. If you'd like to quieten down, please. <laughs> but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Praise the Lord, Jesus is alive, he's risen. I've often said that the central point of or core of Christianity is not the cross, but the resurrection. The cross is vital, it's of utmost import. Without it we have no hope, no answer. Uh, so this is not to lessen the importance of the cross, we can't lessen that, but the cross was a means to an end. It was a cosmic, of cosmic importance, universal effect. It changed everything, absolutely everything. But Christianity does not end there. That's the point. Uh, I remember hearing a man talking about a friend of his who followed the path of Jesus through the stations of the cross till he got to the place where they said that Jesus was crucified. And then after that, he said, where do we go from here? And they said, well, go from here? Where do we go? He said, well, I want to go on because of the ascension and, and all that happened. And they were a bit confused about this because they stopped at the cross. All the things stopped at the cross. The cross is a major stopping point in the procession of truth and salvation. But what follows it is a res uh, and is the result of the cross is the truth 
that God wanted us to understand about Christ all along. This is what he's doing. It's what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 1. I'll read it out to you. Verses 9 and 10. This is God's purpose. Button in the middle. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ Jesus, in heaven and earth, or heaven and things on the earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance. It says the same thing in Colossians. I'll read it to you in Colossians as well. It's the summing up of all things in Christ. That's what God wanted to do. Colossians 1 verse 20 says this, And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the, the, his cross, through him I say whether things on earth or in things in heaven. God has reconciled all things to himself in Christ. That's what went on on the cross, a reconciliation of all that had happened with mankind and everything but Jesus comes out as the most important, all in all, shall we say. That Christ should be all in all, in us, for us, through us. And to do that, Christ has to be eternally alive. That's, about, that's the resurrection. That's why we rejoice. Now, it's not as if Christ couldn't reappear at any time. After all, he was God, he could do anything. But the difference is that the resurrection, he came back as a man, like you and me. He came back as a man, having overcome death. So there's a man in heaven now. This means in him we now have the possibility of being overcomers, as he is an overcomer. Christ's death was necessary so that a new generation could be raised up, a generation which Jesus Christ was the first fruit. You'll read that in the scripture. He was the first fruit, the first of a new generation. People have been raised from the dead. Lazarus had been raised from the dead before this. So he wasn't the first to be raised from the dead, but he's the start of a new generation that you and I are part of. A new life in Christ, regenerated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what God had in mind. Um, some people look at the resurrection as a, as a new way or a way to look at dying. You know, it'll be all right in the end because Jesus died on the cross and uh, rose again. But it's actually a new way of living. I am a new creation. Christ has opened the door into eternity and eternal life for me. We often don't stress eternal life, but that's what it's about. We have eternal life. That's what the resurrection means. Now, if you're in a court, sometimes you hear a phrase, the man on the uh, Clapham omnibus. Um, it's just to say the, the average man, shall we say, Mr. Average. Well, Mr. Average, if you ask them what's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, you get some very strange replies. Some people might say, well, Christians go to church, it's the positive, they read Bibles, they pray, they help the poor, do all those sort of things. If it's negative, they may say, well, they're all hypocrites, killjoys, dressed dully, dangerous moralists, boring. All of those sort of things come out. 
But really, a Christian is one who knows that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and deserves the resurrection. That's the difference, that Jesus is alive. So it's the balance point and the linchpin, different to everything else, Christ is alive through the resurrection. Now, I just want to give one or two quick reasons for believing this, why, what Christians have held over the years. The first one is the revolutionary change in the disciples. After the cross, you read that they, they hid, they stayed at home, met secretly because of fear, some returned to their old occupations. Then something happened that changed this little bunch of people uh, huddling away quietly, hoping that no one notices them, into people that go out on the streets and preach and teach and proclaim something. What they proclaim is Jesus Christ is alive. That changed them. They became bold, public, preachers, healers, without fear of their lives. You know, fear is, uh, is a strange thing. If you... Um, if, if you're expected to be frightened of someone and you're not frightened of someone, what happens is that fear that they try to pull on you returns to them. And they find it a fearful thing. That's often happened in cases with Christians. You've had people trying to intimidate them, but they're not intimidated because they say, look, Jesus is alive. If you take my life, I shall live for eternity. And that puts fear onto the people that are actually bringing it. Jesus Christ is alive. So the first thing is the revolutionary change in the disciples. The second thing, which is very important, is the failure of the Jews to produce a body. All they had to do was say, bring the body and we'll show it to the people. End of story. And you'd think that they'd think like that, but they couldn't bring the body. So they had to say, someone's stolen the body, so we can't bring it. That's why the the lies were put about through the soldiers who were paid. Uh, the scripture tells us there's no body. There's no body. Why is there no body? Because Jesus Christ is alive. You can get excited if you want to, or <laughs> you can sit there as miserable as sin if you like. I don't mind. There's the appearances of the eyewitnesses. Now, if you run through the scripture, and I've just, this is very basic starts with Mary Magdalene. I love the story of Mary Magdalene. I think it's, it's, it's lovely that Jesus chose her, as it were, to be the first one that he revealed himself to. She, was, she has a bad press, Mary Magdalene, but Mary Magdalene was the first one. Then the other women. And it's interesting that God decided that we, the women ought to know first. Then there's someone called Cleopas who um, lives some distance away and Jesus joined up with them on the road to Emmaus. Um, sometimes we think that it's a couple uh, so they often talk about two men but it could be a couple so there's clear pass then Simon Peter then all the disciples minus Thomas then all the disciples plus Thomas then there's a seven at Tiberius that he appears to then at the mountain at Galilee he meets up with many of them and this could be the same as the other one where the Bible talks about 500 people at once saw Jesus, and he sat with them and he walked with them. James, the brother of Jesus, and Olivet, Olivet the, the Ascension. Then, of course, we have Paul, 
I love the story of Paul. The three words just change his life. Three words. He's going with letters of authority to another country. Can you imagine that you go, you're going to France to arrest Christians? I mean, this is what he's doing. He's going to another country. So it's all rather odd that he's going with these letters of authority saying that he can arrest every Jews, really, who would turn into Christians. And he's doing it in the name of God, the God that he's, he's worshipped, the God that he's studied years over, knows the law. And there he is, struck down on the road, and he says, Who are you, Lord? And three words destroy his past and open up a new future. I am Jesus. Can you imagine what he felt like? It's... His whole, his whole life had been given up at that stage to destroying those that followed Jesus. The false God, this false man who must be stopped. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Transformed him. Uh, if you looked in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, that indicates there were many, many more. So Jesus appeared to so many people. The fourth thing will be the spread of the church for 2,000 years. Despite persecutions, suppressions, attacks, violence, so-called science, new truth, the church still goes on. I could add to that that I'm amazed that the church goes on because being part of the church, sometimes we, we shoot ourselves in the foot and do all kinds of things, but we're still going on. We might be going on limping because we shot ourselves in the foot, but we've gone on. The spread of the church for 2,000 years, it's amazing that that's happened. Absolutely amazing. Now, just a few implications of the resurrection. That If you live by these things, it can transform your life. The first thing is to say that God has power over death. Death could not keep Jesus. If he came back from the dead, so can we. That's the point of it. He has eternal life. So will we. He has a new body that can never die. What we see of Jesus here previews our eternal state. How are we going to be? We wonder how we're going to be. Are we going to be old? Are we going to be young? Um, how will we recognise one another in heaven? All of those sort of things. But Jesus previews our eternal state the way he comes back there. And it's a real body. I could give you a lot of scriptures for it. Matthew 28, 9, Luke 24, 30, John 20. But it's, it's a real body. Jesus sat and ate with them. It's a glorified body. There's something different about it. It's no longer limited like ours. I saw a very interesting TV program once of a guy. Ameri he's an American soldier and uh, he runs a department that deals with supernatural things and odd things. And he walked up to a wall and walked into it and went bang, stopped, as any of us would. But he said there's no logical reason why I shouldn't walk through that wall. So the guy said to him, well, it's a wall. <laughs> that, that, uh, how can you walk through it? He said, it's made of the same material I'm made of. 
So what stops me walking through that wall? He said, I don't know. But one day I'll walk through a wall. But Jesus walked through walls and went arrived when there were doors that were locked and chained and, you know, watch out, they might find us. So Jesus arrives and just, don't bother to unlock it, lads, I'll come through it. <laughs> and he comes straight in. It's a glorified body that's not limited like ours. You know, it's described by Paul in 1 Corinthians as being imperishable, glorious, incorruptible, and immortal. That's, you'll find that in Corinthians. There's a nice description of it in, in the first letter of John, chapter 3, and verse 2. Well, I'll start from verse 1 because it's too good to miss. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And as such, we are. For this reason, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. That's why people are puzzled out there about these Christians doing these odd things. They don't understand. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. That's John describing what's going to happen. We're going to see Jesus face to face and we're going to know him because of that. We know him when he appears, we'll be like him. That's great. That's really great. So it's a real body we're having. The second thing of the implications of the resurrection is this, that what Jesus had been saying all along was true. And therefore other things were said also. He claimed to be God. This confirms it. When Jesus came back from the dead, he could say, no, 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 no I told you. Of course he didn't. It's theologically we don't say things like that. But Jesus, we have to reckon that everything that Jesus said, he proved at the resurrection. So you have to look at all the other things he said. And of course, one of the main things that he said, he claimed to be God. That's because he was God. This confirms it. So the resurrection confirms Jesus' deity. Thirdly, there's a man in heaven. So that gives hope for us. A lot of hope for us. Because we have a high priest. If you turn to Hebrews, if you've got your Bible. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7 and verse 24 and 25. Therefore, when you see therefore, that's right. Therefore, he's able also to save forever those who draw near to him. Oh, near to God through him, since he will always live to make intercession for them. Do you realise that Jesus is praying for you? For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins, then the sins of the people, because this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. 
Jesus is our high priest. We have a high priest in heaven who's praying for us. And he's a permanent high priest. He's there permanently, praying for us. Don't ask me how that works. We don't need to know. But there's a man in heaven who is a high priest forever for us. Now, our relationship with God is affected by our relationship to this man, Jesus. Uh, the words ring in my ear of Pontius Pilate when he says, what shall I do with this man? You know, he's forced into this decision of choosing Barabbas by the crowd. And he says, what shall I do with this man? And that's the cry on everyone's lips. Our relationship with God is affected by our relationship to Jesus. If you reject him, you reject God. That's what happens. You're rejecting God. So better get that sorted out. Our repentance is necessary because it says in Acts 17 that he's going to be the judge of all men. So if you want your judge to be on your side, I suggest you follow him. I think that's very important. The question does arise, if the resurrection was to happen, why, why was the cross? What was the cross about? The cross dealt with this issue of sin with us. We're separated from God. However you look at the story in uh, Genesis there, we find that God created man and God and man, something came between God and man and that something was sin. When man said, I want to do it. I want to do it. I'm going to look after myself. He didn't use those words, but that's what happened. Sin came between and we see the result of sin in the world. And Jesus came to remove that which we couldn't remove because we have no ability to do so. And the cross was about Jesus becoming our substitute, our sacrifice, justifying everything that God does. See, God cannot turn his back on sin um, and ignore it. That's what I mean by that. He can't ignore it because his words uphold everything. And if he doesn't uphold his word, when he says that he would judge sin and sin must be judged, everything would fall apart. So what he did was he found that his son could take the sin on our behalf and righteousness is fulfilled. That's a very important thing. Righteousness has always got to be fulfilled. And that's what happened there on the cross. So the cross removed the sin that you've committed And enables you, if you believe on Jesus, to have his righteousness and stand before God the Father holy. That's amazing. Um, Jesus' resurrection shows that his sacrifice was sufficient for you and me. The Father, you know, the, the evidence of it is the Father sends the Holy Spirit. He accepts that what Jesus has done justifies him in forgiving you and me and justifies us. Jesus, our sacrifice, our guarantee. 
There are just a few things I've picked out about the resurrection because we know it happened 2,000 years ago. But he's alive. Jesus is alive. And we're made alive in him. Wouldn't always know that with looking at some people. But, but we're made alive in Jesus Christ. The resurrection living is our birthright. I think we should celebrate that. Resurrection living is our birthright. We're not those that spend all their time dwelling on the cross. We're those that I hope are dwelling on the resurrection, that Jesus is alive. We're not those that beat ourselves and, you know, there are flagellation goes on in some places in this world, still to this day, people beating themselves for what's happened to Jesus and it's still happening. It's not still happening. It's done. It's finished. Jesus is alive. And that's what we should be preaching and teaching and singing about, if we may. Let's just pray, shall we, while the band comes up. Just take a moment to say thank you, Lord, for the resurrection. It raises me up to you. Hallelujah. Praise your name. Father, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you it's the final word on your behalf as it were to us that Jesus is alive and being alive he can meet us and help us as a high priest Lord we don't come to a God that doesn't understand how we feel we have a high priest who came here and lived and felt all the things we felt from anger to wrath to loneliness to you name it he, he felt it and so he intercedes on our behalf from that position of knowledge. And we thank you for that, Lord. There's nothing that you don't know about, about us. And we want to pray that we'll live the resurrection life in front of other people and share that life and see it imparted to new people. Lord, as Wesley put it, you're forever beginning what never can end. So, Lord, we pray that you'll be doing that in people's hearts and lives. And, Lord, start with us, that we should come through the cross to that place of resurrection. Bless your name, Lord. There's going to be an ascension for us as well one day when Jesus comes back. Lord, we, we see he's fulfilled everything. So we give you thanks, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.